you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello and welcome to the NFL Legends Podcast. I am Aeneas Williams. The NFL Draft is right around the corner. Today we are talking about the honor of being selected in the first round. It's a round I wish I was drafted in. It's the great Rod Woodson, uh, one of the guys that I looked up to. And then I have Jack, Action Jackson, Action Hero, Stephen Jackson out of Oregon State University who was a first-round pick of the Rams in 2004. Also, Rod, congratulations, 100th anniversary team. I appreciate it. Thank That's you. huge, right? Huge. Can't even imagine that, 100 years, and you being – I want to just start there, Rod. How did you feel when you got that call? I go back to the very first time when I got the 75th anniversary. It's like so surreal. I'm like, you know, do I really – deserve it? Do I not, you know, do I belong in that conversation of the greats? You know, I still see myself as a country boy from Indiana. I just started playing football because my older brothers started playing football. I'm the youngest of three boys and I'm like, I wanted to play because they was playing. And that's where I picked the game up. And it just led from one thing to the next. I just kept getting a little bit better as I kept getting older. And, you know, and then, you know, being, getting a red coat, you know, being this under, you know, the Centennial team, it is, it's, it's, you know, um, it's kind of like the Hall of Famers of the Hall of Famers. I mean, you know, even though I don't know if you can really say that, but, you know, um, you know, it's it's one of those moments, again, where it's kind of so surreal, where they think that you're one of the best players out of the first hundred years wow. of pro football, which, you know, to me is, you know, I accept the honor. I don't know if I deserve it, but I accept the honor. So everybody talks about being a first-round pick, but what are the things no one talks about? What are the expectations, Steven? Big, you know, the expectations you know, at that time, um, 04, you, everybody wanted that top 10, right? The, the money ball kind of pick selection. And I remember um, I, I came out as a junior. I was unsure if I was going to come out. I, I was really dead set on finishing my degree early, you know, in that December, in that next year. But then I had a chance to play in the Las Vegas Bowl. And at Oregon State, we wasn't going to compete for a national championship. You know, no disrespect. But <laughs> and so you had realistic expectations. I had realistic right. expectations. Right. And we played in Las Vegas Bowl, which is my hometown. And I, had a, I went on a tear that night. 
And I just remember, I was like, if I'm not going to win a national championship, what a better way to, you know, end my uh, amateur career in front of my hometown. Wow. Wasn't going to, at the time, it wasn't a Las Vegas Raider, right? So I wasn't going to be able to play in front of them again like that. And I just felt like it was one of those opportunities, right? That's when the word opportunity started wow. really revealing itself to me. And uh, just stepping out on faith. Mm-hmm. What about you, Rod? Expectations, first round pick, Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. I assume they were already winning? No, well, they won. I mean, they're still Curtin. They were winning Super Bowls before that, you know, years before that. Mm-hmm. So back in 87, they weren't that good. I mean, we, for my first year, we were 6-10. and 10. But to get back to your question is, you know, I didn't, you know, we, I, we knew there was going to be a lockout in 87. Knew it. So we knew it. I mean, well, at least my agent knew it, which is Marvin Dunlop. So Dunlop's. coming into getting drafted. So, yeah. So coming into the whole process, we're like, listen, you're going to get drafted. There's going to be a lockout, you know. If you want to sign, that's going to be up to you, you know. And so once the, you know, at the end of my college career, I started running track. I got uh, started running at Purdue, left, went to L.A. to start training um, to really run because mm-hmm. they said it was going to be a lockout. I'm like, well, if it's going to be a lockout, then I'm just going to do what I love to do. I've been running track since I've been nine years old or, you know, 12, 12 years old for AAU. So I'm going to start doing something I love and I'm going to find a real good hurling coach and I did I went out to LA uh, found a guy named Chuck Devis and my time went from a 13-6 to a 13-2-2 in four weeks you know so it so I was like you know I was still waiting to see what happened Uh, then the draft comes around after um, a little while and you know not thinking the Steelers are going to draft me I never even talked to the Steelers that was the first I remember that was the first year a plan B player got Correct. Got gotcha. traded was a Chimp Banks who went to the Chargers. Then they then Cleveland's there and they get um, Junkin, the, the linebacker from Duke. Okay. And so I kind of fall down the board a little bit, which was great for me, um, not knowing I'm gonna go to Pittsburgh because the uh, the um, the Saints called me at number eleven. Said, My hometown gonna, team, Saints called you. They're like, we're gonna draft you. You're on the board. I'm like. I'll be a saint, all right. <laughs> and then at 10, uh, uh, Jim Boston called me on the phone. It's like, you know, we're Pittsburgh Steelers. You want to, we want to over you, you'll be, want to be a Steeler. I'm like, shoot, yeah, I'll be a Steeler. So, I mean, but expectations, I didn't have any. You know, I didn't have any, honestly. Um, you know, I knew, this, I knew who the Steelers were. Um, I knew, you know, the history of how good they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I knew they had Mel Blunt and, you know, the, the, you know, the rule changes because of Mel. The Southern University, Mel Blunt. HBCUs need to know this, one right? of the, Shout out to Mel. One of the biggest corners. I, he might be the biggest corner <laughs> ever to play. Dude, that dude is like that, he can play. That dude is huge. You're right. So, uh, you know, I know the history of what they, what they were. Um, and then being around uh, Chuck Knoll. His last five years, so you know, I, I knew the expectations of what he had. Um, I knew he, what, he, what he wanted to get back to. So you know, I just wanted to try to be a part of it in any capacity that I could. And your DB coach was my DB coach was Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy. He was our wow. DB coach. He was our DB <laughs> coach. He was our DB coach and our defense coordinator. How about uh, that? He coached me in a senior bowl. He was on the Kansas City staff, defense back coach. Great man. Pressure. What's the pressure like? Being number one. And you got Rush, right. Marshall Falk, right. you're coming in, and now they're drafting Steven. Yeah. What was that like? 
Yeah, so kind of like going back in the story about, you know, the first round expectations. You know, you come out as a kid, you have these expectations, you, you have these wants, and then you slide, right? So I slide in the first round. And then you get the phone call from the St. Louis Rams at the time. And obviously you have, you have Rush, you have Marshall Falk there in front of you. And then not only do you slide, but then you go and back up a Hall of Famer, and you're like, what is going on? And like you like looking at the sky, like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't. I didn't see the the, the, the puzzles of the pieces of the puzzle coming together. So, so when the I got chess, the chess master, you you're not figuring this out. I right? wasn't figuring it out at got the time, it. right? Got and it. then um, to to your point, Rod, you know, I get there and I walk into a huddle, you know, of Hall of Famers, Orlando Pace. You know, you have uh, Tory, uh, Isaac Bruce. You have Tory Ho. You have all these guys. And I didn't, I didn't see the blessing at first, but then I sat back and I had, let me step back a little bit in the story. I walk into the, into the locker room and I'm going in between you and Rush, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? So I'm sitting between you two and I obviously know, know the career you guys both have. And that's when I realized I said, just be quiet and watch. Mm. This, is, this is that red shirt year for you, you know? Wow. And if you think about going top 10, typically those are bad teams. Correct. And the leadership that you guys set for me in that, that year in that locker room, I think set me on the path to have a 12-year career. Because wow. I saw the work ethic. I saw you running your, your gassers between offensive and defense of, of sets, you know. I saw the way Marshall used to watch film. I saw the way he made sure that the route tree was ran out the backfield like it was a receiver. Wow. The things that I didn't realize was important in the game, especially as a running back, I just thought it was just give me the ball and run. <laughs> you know, yeah. but especially at my size, right? You're like, get out the way, right? So, but to see that example, wow, of the and the intentional work put in behind the scenes, I think was just a blessing. Wow, yeah. Rod, you were drafted after Jerome Brown. Some of these young guys don't know who Jerome Brown was. What was that like? I mean, you know, Jerome was a player. You know, come out of college and University uh, of Miami. University of Miami. He was a tackle. Yep. He's now deceased. You guys may not know. And uh, you know, so you know, just you know, you know, our draft class was a pretty good draft class. And then when I go to the Steelers, we had a that '87 draft for the Steelers was a really good draft. Was Carnell in that draft? Carnell came the following year. Okay. Um, but we had myself. Um, another defensive back was uh, Delton Hall from Clemson. Thomas Everett from Baylor, who was the first Heisman, he was the first Jim Thorpe Award winner in the history of that award in 1987 from Baylor. Uh, he was one of the draftees. Uh, Greg Lloyd, Merrill Hodge, uh, yeah, Gerald wow. Williams. I mean, our guys, yeah, Lockett, Charles Lockett. We had a lot of guys that, that played double-digit years in the National Football League on that draft. And, uh, you know, back then it was 12 rounds mm -hmm. back then, so... You know, you're talking about, you know, not really knowing. I was at home, sitting at home uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I got the call. Uh, didn't sign my contract until October 28th that year. I only played six games that year, my rookie year. Um, my first game I played, I, was, I played safety. So it was like, you know, Dwayne Woodruff, he was the corner. Uh, Delton was already playing. Lupe Sanchez from UCLA, he was playing already. Lupe was a good player. So they had all their positions. So he, they were trying to find ways to get me on the field. They put me at safety in a nickel package. Uh, they played me at linebacker because I was, I was, you know, at, I played safety in college. Okay. So when I came to, to Pittsburgh, I was probably, you know, 215, 
when I was running track. Okay. So they put me a linebacker package, which is probably not the smartest thing to do. <laughs> so they saw me a linebacker. They're like, check, check, ISO. Like, check, check, ISO. I'm running at 26 right there. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I mean, the first time I had to do it, I was like, man, I don't know about I don't know about playing down in here. Now this is this I want to go back a little further. But uh, you know, Chuck was just trying to find ways to get me on the field. And then I knew the expectations because the culture in the building is about winning. When you first walked in the building, there was three Super Bowl trophies sitting right there. Mm. And we were like, okay, well. And then, you know, Rocky Blyer, Mean Joe Green was our okay. defensive, our back coach, or excuse me, defensive line, line coach. coach yeah. So Mean Joe Green was in the building every single day. Mel always was in the building. Rocky Blyer would come in the building. You so know. these legends are in the These are, Donnie, Donnie Shell was still there. Mike Webster was still there and Star Wars was still there. Oh. So I got to play with those guys. Donnie was my roommate my rookie year. So we, you know, every home game, which was only three for me, um, you know, I got to be with him in the room. Shout out to Donnie. To Donnie, who who just got into the Hall of Fame. Yes. What what Donnie did for me is he just gave me like an understanding of what a pro looks like. And I was a knucklehead kid from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I just played football, man. I was kind of stupid. I didn't listen to a lot of people. I was kind of hard. I was a hothead. You said something to me, I'd be like, okay, say it again. You know, and then Donnie's like, hey, just be a pro. Do the right thing. Always be on time. You know, this everything that you're, you're asked to do, just do it without question. And then at first, I didn't understand why he was there. But after he left and in the years, you know, preceding that, I was like, oh, okay, that's what he's talking about. And Dwayne Woodruff, who's a great, you know, he played for quite a long time for uh, for the Steelers uh, out of Louisville. He was, he was, I played four years or three years with Dwayne, and Dwayne was the same type of guy. He was just always doing the right thing. I mean, he's a judge now in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So um, I had that a mentorship. Judge. Yeah, he's that? a judge. So I had a mentorship outside of being with having Tony there who was teaching me how to play the game at the cornerback position. But then I had some good mentors about being men, a man outside of football. You know, Action Jackson, you mentioned it already. The, the players today, you don't see players playing as long, right? So what was it like and what are potentially today's players missing when it comes down to coming into that locker room, as you talked about, Rod, with those veterans that are there? You said, what are they missing? What are they missing? Yes. The wisdom. Yeah. The wisdom, I believe, you know. There's some things, the nuances of the game, you just don't get them, the X of those, or even in the film. And, you know, you're just talking about coming up with a sleep pattern, right? The things you don't think about as a young warrior, you just think you're invisible, especially, you know, early 20s. Mm -hmm. And then to continue to try to burn the candle on both ends, if you don't have somebody sit you down and explain to you that all that affects your performance, because when you start talking to guys about performing and, you know, leaving a legacy for themselves and being proud of, you know, the things they have accomplished, you, you trigger them in a different way. Instead, you know, and, and that's what I was seeing from you guys, the example you guys are uh, doing. Eating clean, I didn't know what a portion size was. You know, all, all those little things, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> he said portion size. Yeah, like, I'm like, well, what is that? What are you, like, three strips of bacon. I'm like, no, I need the whole plate. You know, I'm like, <laughs> so it's like the, the little nuances of that on top of how to conduct yourself in an interview. I was, a, I was a guy that I was seven years old. I had an incident at the Boys and Girls Club, right? So I, baseball diamond field. The line drive didn't catch the glove. It caught my face, right? So, and wow. from that, 
I became like really um, conscious of my of my face and things like that because I had to have reconstructive surgery. So that put me in a shell. That set me back as a kid. So then you get on this big stage, and I don't have any media training. Nobody's, you know. Then I, I had that in my history, you know, that trauma. And I didn't know, I didn't know the power of media at the time when I walked into the NFL in the locker room. I was just, I was really comfortable just putting on that helmet and running hard, right. and figuring that if you love the game, I will hope you appreciate the way I play the game. But far as being on a platform and using it to the level that I know I'm capable of now, right. that was not a thought you know, 15, 16 years ago. So being uh, these young guys now, if you don't have a veteran that not only sets a good example, but willing to share that knowledge, you'll miss it. And you can still miss it today. Right. Yeah. Wow. What about you, Rod? There's very little internet back back then. <laughs> <laughs> there was no internet. Back then. <laughs> the computers had, the computers had DOS. Right. And most people don't know what DOS is. It was the backside of the computer anyway. But, um, I mean, for me, you know, it was, um, I think what, what's missing when you don't have vets is that you, you do miss that leadership. And when I came in, you had to be a really good rookie to make the squad. And today you got to be a really good veteran to make the squad. That's the difference. Wow. Back then, our backups were five-year, six-year players who were vets, who understood, who played all the special teams, and there were backups at positions. So if your guys got hurt, you had a veteran guy who can play and step in who played before. Well, now it's, they're, all, they're all rookies that are backups in the National Football League. And I think what's missing is that, you know, I know, for at least for me, um, what I was given from my veteran guys when I first got there, as I got older and moved to different teams, I felt it like when I went to Baltimore, you know, uh, Ray Lewis was a baby. Ray was right. his third year. And you know how locker rooms work, right? Where locker rooms, you always sit with your group. Right. I didn't sit with the DBs. They set me with the linebackers. They set me in between Ray Lewis and Peter Bowyer. I'm like, well, I guess I'm talking to Ray and Peter. Uh, and then I just befriended Ray and Peter. We talked every single day. just about being a man, doing what's right, you know, showing up on time, being courteous to people. So all the little things that was given to me, I think that's missing in the National Football League because you don't have those vets sprinkled in. Organically. Yes. Right. Now, the teams that are really good, they have a culture, and they do have vets sprinkled in, and they have leaders. The teams that kind of fall apart throughout the uh, the years, um, they don't. They're young in their locker room, and you know what I tell guys all the time is that until you buy, until you take ownership of what is yours, which is the team as players, your team is never going to win a Super Bowl. You'll never be successful. So, I mean, the coaches. If the coach is always the 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 one person everybody's always talking about. And he's the leader. He's the he's a face of the team. He's a face of the franchise. You know, outside of you know, like Bill Belichick, mm-hmm. normally your team's not winning a lot of football games because you got to find leaders in the locker room who's going to take ownership. Yeah, it's you know if you know taking ownership is if you're if a guy in your team is saying something to the media or did something inside the locker room, you're going to go to him and say, "Hey, man, you shouldn't be doing that." And, you know, back in the old school way, you'd right. be like, okay, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. That's our first warning. You do it again, they're going to come back to you and say, if you do that one more time, you're really going to have an issue with everybody in this locker room. Right. They don't do that. Well, first of all, you don't have the vets in the locker room to do it. 
but the teams who do still have that vet and have that culture inside of their building, those teams are still successful today. Correct. You know, it's just, I, I feel for the younger guys who don't have a veteran to lean on, to get knowledge, to gain knowledge, to talk to. Uh, the coaches are younger, the players are younger. And I'm like, where do they get their wisdom? Where do they get their advice from? Where do they turn? Mm-hmm. Each other? And when they turn each other, they still are all trying to learn it. You know, together, to together learn, learn right. together, which right. is not a bad thing. Right. It's not a bad thing because in 1987, we had five rookies in our secondary. We had three drafted, two holdovers from the, uh, from the, um, the scab team, so to speak. So we had five rookies, and we learned how to, when we were getting beat, we did, we were like, okay, we can't do that anymore. You know, so we, we learned and we grew together. From so that can happen from our own experience. So right. that can happen. That takes a while, but we still had, I still had Woodruff and Donnie Shell, and we still had those guys coming in. Like Mel Blunt, he came in the locker room quite a bit. Mm. And he invited us out to the ranch. He has a, a ranch out there for, uh, for, uh, for um, boys who right. get in trouble, right. correction boys. Uh, from, instead of going to jail, they go to the ranch and work the ranch for them. So we used to go out there, and it was eye-opening. Like, man, this guy is, you know, he's poured his whole, you know, career into doing what's right, right. for young men. And so that's, that was eye-opening. So stuff like that, these young kids don't get if they don't have those mentors in the locker room, which, you know, I feel bad for them if they don't have it. Let me ask you, can I ask really sure. about that wrinkle? You said something that it's, it's nothing wrong with having a young secondary, a young team, but I think free agency also throws that, you sprinkle that in as well. So yeah. you didn't have a chance to jail those five or, you know, so it makes it really difficult for these young guys now. You were 21 when you were drafted. What were you not ready for it when you got to the league? All that money. Wow. Just be honest. All that money. I, um, I'm not sharing anything that's not like my, my mom and parents haven't shared, you know, their uh, faith leaders. My dad was a gambler, you know. I grew up in Las Vegas. So I, I recall times in my life where I would hear my parents having disagreements about, you know, money. Mm-hmm. And then to have, you know, to have that dynamic in your household and then to then be thrust with this responsibility of this wealth. At that point, it's like, who do you turn to, right? Because mm-hmm. the person that you would probably trust the most, he was he was out of that situation, but then he didn't trust himself. So he didn't want to give me advice. Mm-hmm. So at that point, there was a man in the church that he's now, he's my mentor now. And uh, he worked in Wall Street for a very long time. But my parents were smart enough to know that they couldn't give me that that wisdom of how to, you know, handle and take care of my and take care of my money. So that's when I realized mentorship was really important. And going to Rob, what you were saying, when you have these different roles and people that look like you and people that you feel like you could trust and have these conversations with, mm-hmm. um, they don't always come in the locker room, Correct. right? But they're right. still hard to find. And I think that's what is important, that if you find those people in your life that's willing to be, you know, um, a, a sounding board or, or someone just to be able to get some of this frustration off of you because you're young, and not only do you have the responsibility of trying to provide for yourself and your family, but then you have to put on a face in the public. Mm. And the NFL, Sundays are great, but sometimes Wednesday morning is not. You know, like, you know? And, and it's really hard to, if you want to say that and just be real, you're going to get seven people saying, oh, I switched spots with you. 
And it's not saying that I, I, I'm not grateful or, right. I'm, or I'm complaining. It's just I'm human. I'm just trying to figure it out. And when you say Wednesday mornings yeah. are not necessarily great, what were some of the things you experienced on a Wednesday morning that you could share with us that made it for you? Love being there, yeah. but here's a tension that I deal with. I think uh, being a big man, so a lot of people think you don't have, you could take a lot, and they don't, they don't think you have feelings, right? So going through the stretch in St. Louis, we were a bad team. Sure. And being a bigger guy, you're getting the ball 30, 35 times on Sunday. Then on Wednesday, we had so many different coaches, everybody thought they had to make the team tough because you're a bad team. So now on Wednesday morning, I'm a, I'm a second-year guy, third-year guy. Now I'm getting live reps in practice, right? So it's like, who is my advocate? Like, who, who, wow. who is going to stand up and say something for me? And, uh, and you felt this. Oh, you feel it. Oh, yeah, you feel it. Because Wednesday, you could barely pick up a cell phone. On top of that, this is when we playing on the actual turf, you know, like, wow. so now I'm having another, I'm having another blow, right? <laughs> so um, when you, on that Wednesday morning and you don't have, you're just beat up and let's just say you have a gimp in your, in your stride and now you have coaches, you know, questioning, like, are you faking it? Are you just trying to get out of practice? Or, you know, are you not strong enough? You're not tough enough? It's just like. So no, this mental. It's a mental battle. Rod, how would you handle the mental part? I remember, Rod, in your mental, I'm specifically, I can remember the play when you injured your knee. Tenth play, opening game, Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions. I did something I never have done before. I, I broke open a brand new pair of shoes right before the game and did not wear them prior to that week. And normally I would wear them throughout the whole week, and we played Breaking on the in. we played the old AstroTurf, correct? The Three River Stadium. That correct. stuff was, and it was hot. <laughs> and I put these brand new Pumas on, which I wore that my first three years, and and then I I plant Barry cuts back inside. Barry Sanders. And my foot stays straight, and my knee turns. Uh-huh. And my and normally you know if I'm wearing the shoes, my 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 shoe would have turned. Turns, right. I would have been fine. But as soon as my, my foot planted, I was like, why did you wear those shoes, you stupid guy? And then, so it was to me, it was like I hurt my knee. I'm like, woe's me, why? I meet, I meet the doctor on Monday. The doctor says it's going to be four months, four to six months. I'm like, four months? Well, that's playoffs. Hey, coach, I can get back for playoffs. I can get back for playoffs. I'm going to heal fast. I'm going to get back for playoffs. And Bill was one of those guys. He was open. He was a player's coach. He listened. And uh, the great thing is I had Carnell Lake on my team. Mm -hmm. And Carnell moved from, played outside linebacker in college, moved to safety, went from safety to corner, and played really well that year at corner. And so if he wasn't there, they would have to put me on IR to bring some more guys in just to have that roster spot. So Carnell moved over. Nobody else got hurt in the secondary. Carnell balled out at corner. And they they kept that light on at the end of the tunnel for me for that first year of me being in the Super Bowl. Bill Coward. Bill Coward did, yes. So they gave me that opportunity. Action Jackson. What didn't we know as a rookie? What did the veterans maybe not know that what you were experiencing as a rookie? And at what point did you feel comfortable sharing what you were going through with a vet. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, a little bit. Um, so as a rookie, you yeah. going through, you said, yeah. man, these tensions, yeah. right? Yeah. And you're going through it. You're in this locker room. You're in between Marshall and I. You got these veterans around. But at what point were you comfortable where you can actually share what you're really feeling like in that locker room with a vet to get thoughts or something like that? Uh, I mean, that's a tough question uh, to answer. Um, I would say when you walk into a locker room like that, that locker room, you guys were rolling, right? Early right. 2000s, you guys were. So you jumping on the moving train. You jumping on the moving train. Right. And everybody in the locker room is not as nice as Aeneas Williams, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That yeah, is true. Right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so I would say that. I would say that's the thing. Now, I, what was that like? I you, think mentorship. You in the locker room, yeah. your first round draft pick. When did you feel in that locker room that, man, some of these cats not nice, right? You know, everybody's smiling, but you're coming into an environment, a moving train already going. That's so I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to help the people hear what you were feeling. Because yeah. a lot of times as men, we just deal with it, Yeah. right? Yeah. I, um, I didn't know where to turn, to be honest with you. I didn't know who to trust in the locker room. I didn't know if I would share something with you. Was it going to go to back to the coach or was it going to go upstairs? Wow. Or what I said about another teammate that I felt and I was just trying to figure out if that's how he is or not. But then he goes back to that person. You know, and like the gossip. Sure. I mean, men gossip too, right? Sure. So, um, You mean men gossip? <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Let's delete that. Right. <laughs> so trying to figure out not only who I am as, in, as a young man, in, a, in an environment that is highly, uh, full of high performers, how do I figure out? Now, was that pressure? Did you feel pressure? It was pressure, internal. It was in, internal right, pressure. Right. Because the, I always said when Marshall came off the field, I did not want anybody in the stadium to know that, the difference. Because that gotcha. means I'm not doing my job. Gotcha. You know, so that internal pressure there just to perform at his level was already For peaked, you. right? For you. It was peaked. Then on top of that, trying to figure out, um, I, went to school, I went to school in Oregon, very liberal state. Grew up in Vegas, very pretty liberal city, right? So then you move to the Midwest. St. Louis, yeah. Very, not, not so good. <laughs> not so much. Not so much, right? That's <laughs> so, a gracious way of saying St. Louis. Shout, shout out to the St. Louis, right? So there's all this, there's a lot internal going on. You got a lot going on. And still trying to figure out how to find that voice because that's that trauma when I was seven years old. So I would say, I think a lot of people didn't realize that I was, a long time, I didn't really have the confidence of speaking on not only the things that, um, that was probably holding me back from thriving even faster, right. but I just didn't know if it was macho enough to even say it or ask it, right? So all these things. So are you're just, dealing with this. You know, all, all, in, all internal. But then everybody's looking at this 6'2", 200. Yes. Yeah. First round. Like, yeah, like, oh, he's fine. Yeah. So what does a veteran need to know today for that rookie that's in a locker room like you? What does a veteran, a current veteran in a locker room, need to know on how to connect with that guy who's feeling what you're feeling? What, what do we need to know? How would we approach you? I think uh, if somebody went in that locker room and just saying, how, how are you doing? How are you dealing with the pressure? I think that would have opened up me, my heart, to be able to then say, you know what? Wow. That never happened, right? Wow. That's amazing.
Because the reason why I'm saying this is amazing, literally when you're talking right now, it's as if you're in that locker room right now. Because yeah. I hear the emotion. Yeah. I hear what you were really going through. It was a lot at the time, you know, it was a lot. But then I think enduring that, it made me want to be a big brother to all the other guys afterwards. Because then, then once I found myself, I was like, now I want to protect these young guys. I just want you to know you could have, you have a safe haven with me. Jack is a vault. I'm not going to say anything, whatever we discuss between you and I. But know that trust. I've been there. Yeah, and you, I'm the one person you can trust. When did your epiphany come? When did you finally awaken like, okay, I, I, I got this. When did you ever? Uh, I don't. I don't know quite the the time, the moment, but I would say it was a. I can't remember who we lost to. We lost a, a game. It was a tight one, and my pops, uh, my dad. We he he always met me outside the locker, at the locker room, and uh, I looked at him. I just bawled, man. I just started crying. Crying. And he was like, what's wrong with you? You know, he thought physically I was hurt, you know? And I said, no, I said, uh, I'm doing everything I can. We just can't win. We just can't get her over the hump. And I said, you know, to hear the crowd boo you and, and um, your home crowd boo you right. and to not have consistency as head coach, right? So there's no real consistent leader that I could feel like I, that was that compass to follow. I said, uh, I said to him, I said, Pops, I just said, uh, I need you, man. I need you. And this is, a, I mean, him and my mom are still living, 50 years of marriage. But I think it, it took me to tell my dad that I need your voice. It, it doesn't matter that you never played in the NFL. Just help me be a, a better man. Wow. And I think that helped our, our relationship grow more because at a certain point, I think you look at, like, he's making a lot of money. You know, he has his own family. Time to step back. Time to step back. Right. And I'm like, no, nah, I need you. Wow. Yeah. I mean that's that's huge. What? How did your dad feel? Oh, he 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 wanted that because he didn't have his father in his life. Wow. So he didn't know how to be a father, and I have two older sisters. So I think me saying that to him, he thought it would being a good dad was a certain way, a certain model that he didn't get the he didn't get you know the directions to. I'm like, no, it's, it's really what I'm trying to find my voice. You trying to find your voice? Let's find it together. Wow. Yeah. And it's just organic. This is yeah. not like you want to sit down with a counselor and somebody yeah. said, hey, you need to tell that to your dad. Yeah, right? yeah. Wow. Well, and that's great what counselors do, help guys understand that connection to the fathers a lot of times or to the mother. So as we close this out, Rod, what advice would you guys, Stephen, give to first-round draft picks? I would say be open-minded. I mean, it's a little different today because, well, it's really not. Um, we see it differently because we want our first rounders to come in and be veterans. And it's really unfair. You know, Steven just said it was like that third year. I always give everybody, every player should get three years of figuring it out because it takes them a little while. Some guys figure out a little bit faster. Some guys a little bit slower. But it normally takes most players about three years to figure out like, oh, I belong here and I can't play in this league. You know, coaching in this league, I realized Everybody that comes in the, in the building and comes in, out in that room, in different rooms, they don't all believe that they belong. 
they don't all believe that they can play at a high level because they're playing against the best of the best. Regardless Everybody, of the talent. Regardless of the talent. Regardless of pick. Right. And there's some guys who Dove have they have more confidence, but there's certain guys that you'll see that they really don't know if they belong here. And and so, you know, as a player being in the room, I'm just like, know that you know, I tell all my I tell all guys, like you you've been playing this game your whole life. Most guys who play in the National Football League started playing when they were probably seven, eight years old, nine years old. It's the same game. You just get paid to do it now in front of a big crowd. I said, just go enjoy yourself and go play. I said, everything else, take learning the game, find a person in the locker room who's been in the league for a long time and talk to him and mentor, let him be your mentor. Because he's going to show you the right things to do. Don't go to Bobby, who just got there last year, who wants to hang out at the club all night. Because Bobby's going to get you fired. What about you, Steven? What would you tell a first-round draft pick? Well, one, everything. I concur. Everything <laughs> <laughs> but on top of that, I always tell the young running backs, like, tonight they'll perform. I, I would say to them, always remain hungry and humble. You do those, you know, you do those things, you, you'll be right. You'll be all right. And uh, if you remain humble enough, you can always learn in any situation. Right. And I think I always was able to remain humble enough that even despite uh, that first year, that rookie year, not playing a lot, you know, backing up a Hall of Famer, being frustrated with that, um, every, every time he took a rep, I made a mental rep of it. And I was like, that's me carrying it. Because, again, I didn't want, when I got on the field, I didn't want the crowd to, to know Marshall right. was off. Wow. Well, gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Thank you for being here. Thank you all for listening. And the best is yet to come. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Rod. This has been the NFL Legends Podcast. To provide feedback or request a topic for discussion, email us at NFLLegends at NFL.com. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.